Welcome everyone to week two, episode two of Gangrene with Goudreau right here on percolatedmedia.net. This is Goudreau, your captain for the foreseeable future, at least as long as I last on this network, but who knows? That's a conversation for another day. Before I get into my usual preamble, talking about what this show is dedicated to, I do want to take this opportunity again just to illustrate what we have going on here at the site for those of you that are either first-time listeners or some returning venturers, so to speak. This is my weekly show talking about the New York Jets. If you're looking for our usual three-minute retrospective podcast, that gets posted every Friday. We're still going through our Batman retrospective, but we're nearing the end. This has been one hell of a journey, and having all the shows recorded now in the can, uploading on a weekly basis, I have to say everyone's in for some very great discussions to close out that retro. And if you stick around, we'll give you a preview as to what's coming up after that. A couple other ventures we're looking to do here on the site. First and foremost, Garrett and I are launching our own podcast dedicated to pro wrestling. It's called Tag Team Podcasting. Hey, spare me a break on creativity. I'm usually pretty good on my puns and stuff. I make up for it in other routes. What are you going to do? You know how many wrestling podcasts are out there? You could fill an entire WrestleMania-sized stadium with the ones you could find on the internet. But we're sort of taking our retrospective format and applying that to pro wrestling. The details are still being worked out between Garrett and myself, but we do have an introductory show recorded already where we talk about how we got into professional wrestling what are some of our favorite matches moments wrestlers why we still stick around with the business if we still do because garrett and i coming from different generations i think it's going to make for some very interesting discussions so if you are any person who's interested in the discussions of quote-unquote sports entertainment squared circle theater of the absurd whatever you like that show is going to, I think, give us till the count of 10 to listen through it. And who knows, it might be your new favorite show on the site. Speaking of shows, welcome in everyone once again to Gang Green with Goudreau. And I am still debating what week I'm going to drop these shows. I do like to have some consistency to let all my listeners know of when I'll be doing each episode. But the reality is, with my current schedule and my commitments... I'm not yet able to lock in a specific day where I can launch a new show a week. I'm alternating between Tuesdays and Wednesdays just based on my circumstances. But I think as I get further along in the season and my time tends to be a little bit more structured, I do believe I can commit to a weekly schedule where I can say, you know, the new episodes drop Wednesdays at noon or what have you. I really want to have something in place for that, but it's just... Timing has not been my strong suit lately, especially with what, what's been happening in my personal life. But you're not here to talk about my personal life. You're here to talk and listen to me scream about the New York Jets. At least if you know me pretty well. And before I get to the game, there were some things that were said by our bald-headed coach in the week prior to this game against the Browns that I did want to comment on, regardless of how this game panned out. The one that just happened on Sunday, because I am recording this on Wednesday the 21st. So I've had a few days to process everything. Robert Sala, in his press conference, talked about keeping receipts for all the people who are mocking the New York Jets. 
I was not even going to comment on this for the reality and the simple fact that every New York media pugnant, whether it's a podcaster, a beat writer, a reporter for the Jets, for the papers, for the few that are still around, I said they are going to run with this and I should not have to comment on it. But a little birdie, being my co-founder, GC, said, I really think you should give your thoughts because he was listening to the Michael K show, which I don't do on a regular basis. And they were really tearing apart Sala for his comments. And the more I thought about it, the more I really took a hard glance at what he said. I did feel I should I should give my thoughts. New York is a tough place to coach. It may be the hardest place to coach in the NFL or sports in general, especially in America. It's the media capital of the world. And New York sports, especially football in the last decade, has been pretty brutal to watch. But the diehards, we've stuck around because we, A, are gluttons for punishment, first and foremost, especially more so on the Jets side. And B, it's just embedded in our DNA. I think the true sign of a good fan is, are you there for the bad times and the good times? I would never call myself a bandwagoner, and I will never in good conscience say that I go jet-free or Met-free or Islanders-free for, for my hockey team. I will never do that. Partially because I just... There's only 17 games now in the NFL. So when you miss one, it's much different than missing a game or two of baseball, which is a much longer season. But New York is also difficult, I think exponentially more so, if you are a first-time head coach. You're already having to learn on the job. You're going from 90% of coordinators on offense or defense that get these jobs. There's 32 of them. So they come at a premium, and you do have to really put yourself out there in order to get one. But Salah had two things going against him before he opened his mouth. Number one is that the team was coming from a the depths of hell, to put it in layman's terms. And there was nowhere to go but up. I, I talked about that on the first show, detailing where this team has come from in my lifetime and the, the ebbs and flows and whatnot. But with, with recent history, Sala does not have, I guess, the, the, the purview to talk about keeping receipts. Because you have proven basically nothing. You have won. He was 4-14 and going into this game against the Browns. And the Jets were coming into a game where they had lost 13 consecutive September games. That's not all on Salah. But with that said, part of his comments was also talking about how when Joe Douglas, the, the current general manager, took over this team, he basically inherited an expansion team. And to me, as a fan, when I, when I hear the coach say that, that sounds to me like passing the buck and the blame to the prior regime and taking the target off your proverbial bat. I have been very critical of Adam Gase as every other Jet fan was because that was the one hire that every single Jet fan, when they announced that, forget when they announced it, the moment that became a thought and a possibility, 
we all said, oh, God, this is going to be a train wreck. And it was for the two years he was here. But Adam Gase, in his first year on the job, which is when Joe Douglas took over, that team won seven games, which by my count is more than Robert Sala has won in his just smidge over a year as the head coach of the Jets. You can blame Gase to a certain extent, absolutely. I don't think he is without blame. And they are still digging themselves out of the hole that he helped bury them into. But you've got to own your results. And you can't expect people to stop mocking the Jets until you string together wins and until you are a consistently respectable team week in and week out. Salah has not done that. I'm not going to talk about last season because I did sort of do that last week and I don't I don't want to belabor that point. But I did not find his comments to be the smartest tactic for him to take. It just paints a, a bigger target on your back. And people are not going to stop mocking the Jets until you win some games. That's just the reality because of the, the tire fire that this franchise has been. But with that said, Joe Douglas has been here since 2019. And the, the message this year, A, I want to win games, but B, give me something that I can, myself and the fans can be sold on that this team is trending in the right direction, that you have a plan, you have a roadmap, you have people, players that are going to be here for the long term and could be staples of this team for the next decade plus. Douglas has had three drafts. First one looks like a, a train wreck. Uh, there's no other way to put it. It is partially why the Jets did not do so well last year. Why they only won four games for some other reasons. Partially Sala being a first-time head coach, I think, made it difficult to adjust. There were some some games where he just looked outmatched and that he had no clue what he was doing. When you have an entire draft class that is not producing on or off the field, because it's a, it's a combination of someone, your first-round pick being out for the year. Mekhi Becton's now missed two years in a row to injury. He was supposed to be your, your staple left tackle. You have a second-round wide receiver in Denzel Mims who can't even get out of the damn field, and when he does, he's committing dumb penalties or dropping balls, etc. That makes it even harder. You're essentially losing a year of, of development because you have a whole crop of guys that are not doing anything. And that puts more pressure on your 2021 slash 2022 picks and your free agents to really come in and overcompensate for those deficiencies. So that's my thoughts on Salah's keeping receipts comment. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was one of the, the worst possible things he could do, especially after the performance they had last week where it felt like the same old Jets. So I said going into this game against the Browns, I thought it was a winnable game. You are playing a backup quarterback at Jacoby Brissett and a franchise that is just as bad as the Jets when you look at their history. At least you could say the Jets have been to a Super Bowl. The Browns still have not been to one. And outside of a couple years ago when they made the playoffs, their track record is just as disastrous as anything the Jets have done in their history. So I thought there was an equal playing field. Two backup quarterbacks playing Joe Flacco and Jacoby Brissett. I thought this was going to be a game. 
Did I think they were going to win the game? No, especially after what Sala said. I thought it was setting themselves up for another 0-2 disaster. And I was ready to start this show by just kicking and screaming and saying, you dumb SOB, things are going to get worse. And this coach could very well be out the door within the next season or so. And then the game happened. And I have to start with this. I've been a Jets fan for a long time. I have never seen something like this as far as what occurred in the final two minutes on this side, on on the victory side. I've seen it numerous times where the Jets blow games like this. That is same old Jets. But to, to, to walk out of there with a win in the fashion that they did, it, it was as improbable as every stat you will read and every report online, sports radio, will tell you. They paint a picture. But I do have to talk about that. Before I get to the final two minutes, because, yes, the Jets won the game. I'm happy they won a game. The September drought is over. But this team did not look great up until that point. With less than two minutes to go, it was 30-17. to 17. And looking at the way this game started, I'm going to sort of break this game down piece by piece and then talk about the different phases like I did last week. Jets get the ball to start the game. There was a third and one call where Flacco, who I said jokingly, but somewhat factually, is like a statue. They put him on a boot leg on third and one. Dumb decision right there, in my opinion. Offense couldn't really do much early on. Shifts to the defense, and Jacoby Brissett, he was, let's see, he's number 22 of 27. Dinkin and Duncan all over the place. His numbers, he had over 200 yards, it's, but it's not like they, they weren't, they didn't give up those gigantic, monstrous bombs that Lamar had last week. So I guess that's progress. But I think the defense on the whole took a step back. And I think this is a problem with Robert Sala's scheme on defense, him and Jeff Albrick. This cover three style defense that really stems from the the Pete Carroll Seattle scheme when he had the Legion of Boom. The problem I have with this scheme is that it's best executed when you have elite players, because so much of it is, you know, you're covering the middle of the field and you're you're expecting your, your pass rush to get there. And when you have guys like Cam Chancellor and, you know, Richard Sherman, those types of players, Bobby Wagner, you could run that defense and it'll work. But when you don't have those elite players, you can get picked apart very easily. And Pete Carroll was really the one, because this style of defense was the prominent one in youth football teams or, or high school teams. But it's changed, you know, because now you've got, to give you some basic, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, a cover three zone, which is what the Jets run. You know, you got three DBs to cover their, you know, you break the field in the thirds. It's a good conceptually hybrid of run and pass defense because unlike cover two you got more deep defenders but it also makes it harder for teams that focus on long passing to come up with the big plays down the field because you have those extra dbs but like i said 
it's vulnerable to the short passing game, which is really what Jacoby Brissett relied on for the most part because your corners are playing their usual positions deep in their zones. And it's also not run defensive lenient or pass lenient. It's not strong in either area. It's like a good middle ground. If you're a good offensive team, which I do think Kevin Stefanski, the, the coach for the Browns, he had the right game plan. And if you're facing a strong run team, which the Browns are, much like the Ravens, cover three is less than ideal. Unless you have great strength in your your trenches, your interior players. So I'm just, I'm not a fan of this scheme at all. And I, re- I really think it's, it's getting exposed w- with what's happening. It was seven game was seven nothing Browns, but then something happened that really caught me off guard. There was a fake punt that that the Jets called, and they converted on it. So it was fourteen fourteen at the half. I'm like, all right, we got a game. Jets looked like a competent football team, and the rookies, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, both had touchdowns. With that said, Flacco only had about 99 yards receiving, but he, he found the guys that were open. And he had considerably more time to throw than he did the the week prior against the Ravens. So what happens? Jets are down eventually 30 to 17. Jets get the ball. I don't know how this happened when you were watching the game live, but in hindsight, it was clearly broken coverage. Corey Davis gets wide open for a like a 70-yard touchdown to make it 24-30. Jets recover the onside kick. Then the Jets go down the field. Flacco finds Garrett Wilson for a second touchdown of the game. They kick the PAT, and they're up by one. Now, being a Jets fan, my first thought was, Jacoby Brissett's going to lead them down the field. This kid, Cade York, who had the giant 58-yard kick against the Panthers last week, they'll win the game, and the Jets will be 0-2. Not only was I shocked that the Jets won the game, but I was shocked that Ashton Davis, of all people, played one defensive snap at safety, and his one play was the interception on Jacoby Brissett to ice the game. That was not on my Jets bingo sheet whatsoever. So I went through a wider range of emotions. I was overjoyed that this team finally won a game, and it feels like the the, the real pivot point potentially for this team to get their shit together and turn the fortunes of this franchise around. This is something you can build off. Momentum can carry you sometimes much more than your personnel can. So I'm thrilled that they won, absolutely. But it was not perfect. So I'm going to talk about my my thoughts on some of the specific areas. Offensively, look, the Jets put up 30-plus points. That's a celebration in and of itself, considering last week they only put up nine. Joe Flacco looked like the old Joe Flacco. Not the old one now that's in front of my screen that has some gray in his beard and his hair, despite being 37. He's not going to be Tom Brady, folks. He's not playing to 45. <laughs> He had four touchdowns over 300 yards, had a lost fumble, but but no picks. And he found the guys that were open. And speaking of those guys, the running backs, there are no Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb yet, but this one-two punch of Brees Hall and Michael Carter, 
could be something really special for whoever the quarterback is for this team. These guys are explosive, both in between the tackles and catching balls out of the backfield. Bre- uh, Michael Carter had some this unbelievable juke in the, the, the drive where they were trying to get the go-ahead touchdown where, <clears throat> excuse me, not only did he not run out of bounds, he juked a guy to get the first down. And Brees Hall had seven runs for 49 yards. Get these kids the ball more. That's my 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 one critique with this offense still is that they're too pass heavy. They really need to run the ball more, especially against teams like the Browns and the Ravens that are not going to beat you with the quick passing game. They also want to run you down and control the clock and keep your offense off the field. I think the Jets need to employ that. If you are going to be pass heavy, do a lot more of the short intermediate stuff, especially with the offensive line still being a a work in progress. But that offensive line played a lot better than it did the first week. And for a fourth-round pick in Max Mitchell, who got his first start last week, predominantly going up against Miles Garrett, he held up pretty well. I think he he has exceeded expectations. And he had a huge play in the game where he recovered a fumble that kept the Jets' drive going. If they had lost that fumble, the game probably would have never reached the opportunity that it did, but who knows. My big thing that I alluded to earlier, though, was that Garrett Wilson, at wide receiver, who they took the number 10 pick, I was not happy about the game plan last week because he was hardly utilized. And when he was on the field, he looked really damn good. On Sunday, he did something that no Jets rookie has ever done in his second career game. He had over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns. And there's been some good receivers in Jets history. I think of, obviously, Keyshawn. Wayne Krabet, guys before my time like Wesley Walker, Al Toon. I liked Lavernius Coles a lot when they brought in Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. There's been some good receivers, but I love the notion that this team could potentially have a homegrown number one wide receiver, that true difference maker, where the quarterback can just say, all right, I got to throw it to 17. I think he could be. He's not here yet. But I want him to be for Zach Wilson when he comes back, what Stephon Diggs has done for Josh Allen. I think he he can have that kind of impact. This kid can move. He's got great separation. He's got great hands. He ran some nasty routes, including on that second touchdown where he just ran right past the safety and linebacker on that, that in route to catch the touchdown. Flacco hit him in stride, which was a hell of a throw. So offensively, I love what I saw in this game when they had to. I think they, they're still starting off a little slow. But when you put up 30-plus points, look, I can forgive it. And last week, the offense did not hold up their end of the bargain compared to the defense, all things considered. This week, it was the opposite. The defense was getting run over, predominantly by Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Last year, this was a problem. There was that game against the Colts where Jonathan Taylor just steamrolled them. And with the amount of money that we're paying on the defensive line, between Carl Lawson, our $15 million a year edge rusher. I know he's coming off a torn Achilles. This is only a second game back, but hopefully he gets into a rhythm. Quinn Williams is a number three overall pick formally in a contract year. They brought in John Franklin Myers and paid him a hefty sum. So you can't be investing this much money in a unit to get minimal results. And I get it. The Ravens and Browns, two pretty damn good offensive lines. 
And there's some very good players on both of them. But with that said, you've got to be hitting the quarterback more. Jacoby Brissett cannot pick you apart like that. Not only did the defensive line have something to contribute, but the linebackers really were not anything special. Neither are these these safeties. I know Jordan Whitehead was a good signing. He's really good in the run game as far as when he when he has to come down to the first level and make a play. But LaMarcus Joyner looks like he is on ice skates out there. That is a position they absolutely need to address in the very intermediate future. Again, if you're going to continue to utilize this cover three scheme. I'll give the defense this, though. These corners, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, they look like one hell of a duo. I know Sauce technically gave up his first touchdown, but he played Amari Cooper, who's a pretty damn good wide receiver. And he's only going to get better the more he plays. And I'm so used to these corners getting torched year in and year out. And the Jets have had some bad corners. Remember uh, Trumaine Johnson, the $72 million man? What a, that was lighting money on fire, like the Joker in the Dark Knight, basically. I'm glad that these corners can hold their own against some repeatable receivers. But now they got to do it week in and week out, especially when you look at the schedule and some of the receivers going to play in the division. So I was not enamored with the defense. they got to play a hell of a lot better if they to not be in these situations where your offense has to score 13 points or 14 points, excuse me, in less than two minutes. And you got to be able to stop a Jacoby Brissett. What the hell do you think is going to happen when you play Josh Allen? Or when you have to play the Dolphins? I know Tua had a great game, but I fear the receivers more than I fear Tua as a, as a deep ball thrower. Last week, I also really complained about special teams. And this week, they showed up in big ways, starting with Greg Zerlin. Unlike Cade York, he made that PAT to give them the one-point lead in the final minute of the game. But Greg the Leg was on full display because he nailed a 57-yard field goal in the second half of the game to keep it close. That's what you need week in, week out. you got to make those... you got to make the easy stuff like the PATs. You can't be making those mental mistakes. Because as we saw with the Browns, that comes back to bite you. But it's nice to see a dependable kicker come in and make that kind of a kick because that gives your guy confidence. It gives your team confidence. Speaking of big legs, the punter last week was the opposite. He had a 20-yard boot. This week, he averaged 48 yards a punt with four kicks. He also had a fake punt on a fourth and one conversion where he threw a beautiful ball to get the, the fourth down conversion. So he won AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Brain Man, you know, he got chewed out last week. They brought in competition with Ty Long on the practice squad. He stepped up and delivered. If he could do that week in and week out, he might still have a job. So something that was a weakness last week was a strength this week. So I appreciate the improvement, but I really want to see some consistency in all three phases of the game. I don't want to keep seeing one of the three areas really crap the bed and the other two hold their own. You've got to put complete game plans together. you got to play a full 60 minutes. So that's my thoughts on the Jets side. As it pertains to the Browns, a lot of people are getting on Nick Chubb for not running out of bounds, which would have ended the game. If he took a knee or just fell down, 
Jets had no timeouts. They could have run the clock. But to quote Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. And that's what Nick Chubb did. He scored to put them up possibly two full touchdowns. Kate York unfortunately missed the PAT. But the Browns had a .01% chance of losing that game. And they lost it. So two statements can be simultaneously true. The Browns collapsed, but the Jets still had to make those big plays in order to win the game. That's my overall message. Both those things can be correct. And on the notion of correcting, I have screamed for years that the Jets have had no difference makers on offense. Homegrown guys. Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker were a heck of a duo, but they were both free agent signings. Santonio Holmes, Braylon Edwards, first two years of the Mark Sanchez era, those guys were acquisitions. I really want to see guys that the Jets draft and develop. And offensively, it looks like they have those. If Garrett Wilson keeps playing like this, I'm buying the jersey. It's only two games, but if he keeps playing like this, he could be in the Offensive Rookie of the Year running. Brees Hall, second-round pick. Michael Carter, fourth-round pick. Both these guys look pretty good. Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard they traded. So this is another conversation. We finally know what the Jamal Adams deal has equated to. The two first-round picks turned into Garrett Wilson and Elijah Vera Tucker. And I already said Garrett Wilson looks really good. But Elijah Vera Tucker has been their most consistent guard and their most consistent lineman since he's been in the since he's been in the league since last year. Like he's like the top top four rated on PFF. So he's been everything is advertised. And that that trade up looks more than justified. So if those guys keep playing at this level, the Jets will still far and away be the winners of the Jamal Adams trade. I'm overjoyed to see a actual youth movement. Because I want to, if I'm going to lose, I want to lose young because those guys can learn from that. It does you no good when you're winning games with a Joe Flacco. And let's use guys that weren't on the team last year, like a Jameson Crowder or a couple years ago with Frank Gore. That does nothing for the future of your team. So seeing that they have young guys in place that can continue to grow and get better, that's the real optimism and the real roadmap that I'm happy that this team seems to finally have. Now, if Zach Wilson can come back and put it all together, then I'm sold completely. And that youth movement also applies to the defense. Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson, the first-round picks this year, two of the three. Sauce looks pretty good. I mean, he better be if you draft a corner number four. With that comes the expectation he's an Ed Reed. I mean, not Ed Reed, excuse me, he was a safety. Uh, uh, like Like a Darrell Revis level shut down corner. I was about to say Jalen Ramsey, but he does not look like that anymore. So, not to go on a tangent, but can we stop saying Jalen Ramsey is the second coming of Darrell Revis? I don't want to hear them mentioned in the same sentence ever again. The things I never thought I would say on that note. Week three is coming up tomorrow night. Browns Steelers. One team the Brown and the Browns that the Jets have already played and beaten. And the other one. We play in week four when we go to Pittsburgh to play play the Trubisky-led Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I think that's a winnable game. In between, which is also strange that we play the entire AFC North in the first four weeks of the season. That I don't know if that's ever happened before, where you play an entire division four weeks in a row to start your season. And they gave us a in week one what looked like a gauntlet. But we've caught breaks. Deshaun Watson didn't play. J.J. Watt is out for the year, so you don't have to play the Defensive Player of the Year week four. And Mitch Trubisky's at quarterback. Really, that scares you? But the game coming up is the game that I think is going to really determine how I feel going into that Pittsburgh game. This week, they're at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. Not just the Bengals. Let's remember, last year they beat the Bengals at MetLife with Mike White at quarterback. The Bengals are going to want revenge. I don't think they've forgotten about that game. But the Bengals are also 0-2. They lost a heartbreaker in Week 1 to Pittsburgh. Crazy game that was. And they lost to the Cowboys, who also played a backup quarterback. And when I watched this offensive line, for all the money and the new guys that they brought in, Joe Burrow's been sacked 13 times. They cannot protect him. And this defensive line, in order to really show and justify the amount of money we're paying it, they got to be after Joe Burrow, like those velociraptors in the lost world when they come through the, uh, the fields. I know it's a terrible movie, but that was the first analogy I could think of. They got to be in his face constantly. They got to be winning at the point of attack. They got to be coming off the edge. You got to break through the interior with your guards. You got to be hitting them constantly. And if they don't, against a team like the Bengals who have struggled in all facets of pass protection this season. Then they're really going to have to say, are we going to pay Quentin Williams to a long-term deal? Is Carl Lawson worth $50 million a year? If we can't beat this team, what are we going to do when we have to play some really good offensive lines down the road? Pittsburgh doesn't have a great one either, so I think these next two weeks are very crucial for this defensive front to show that they're worth the money. And I really hope that's the case because I like all the players they have on paper. But look, when you give up 30 points to Jacoby Brissett and the Browns, you're still, I wouldn't keep those receipts just yet. Because to me, that, that looked like the defense I saw last year. And offensively, I, I do think the Bengals and the Jets match up pretty well. Obviously, there's no Jamar Chase. If you're the Jets, although Garrett Wilson could very well become that if he keeps on this trajectory. What I would expect is a game plan similar to this. I really hope they run the ball more because I don't think the Bengals are great against the run. But take advantage of those short passes. Their defense might be overly aggressive because this Bengals team needs to win. So I think they're going to come out energetic. They're going to come out quick and fast. And I think you can offset some of those blitz packages with quick screens to Brees Hall or, you know, quick bubble screens to Elijah Moore, and he can break some big runs. I'm really excited to watch this game. I think this could be a statement win for Robert Sala to say and back up his keeping receipts comments to beat the Browns in the most improbable of ways and then two years in a row knock off the defending AFC champions. Starting 2-1, and one, I couldn't tell you the last time the Jets did that. And who knows, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if they beat the Steelers, which I think is a very distinct possibility, 
and you can't give up 30 points to Mitch Trubisky. The Steelers don't have a Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Najee Harris is pretty good, but he's coming off a foot injury. And the Steelers' offensive line is nowhere near as good as the Browns. At minimum, win one of these next two games. If they lose these next two games, the pressure is going to come right back to Robert Sala. Winning cures all. And he bought himself some time with this win against the Browns. It's been a really feel-good week. But you got to string together wins. I talked about this at the start of the show. you got to be consistent. And you can't be making dumb mistakes. You can't be anemic on offense. You can't be giving up 30 points a game. Not against Joe Burrow. You, you, you have to win this game by hitting him. You let him sit back there, him and Jamar Chase will carve us up. Especially if they attack the middle of the field with these linebackers. So, my expectation is, I, I think the Jets are going to win on Sunday. I think they're going to beat the Bengals. At least I very hope that's the case. I would love to start off 2-1-1. Because, again, I talk about building momentum. That really would say you're not the same old Jets. And if you do it decisively, I know you all you care about is the W, but you shouldn't have to win a game by pulling it out of your ass like they did on Sunday against the Browns. You gotta, you know, you you gotta be consistent week in and week out. You gotta make sure that no matter what you're doing, you're not laying eggs on a consistent basis. Besides, Easter is not for another eight months. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Jets win 24-21. I think I think they're gonna find a way to win this game and go into Pittsburgh with all the momentum in the world to start out three and one. And when I look at the schedule, it's nowhere near as daunting as it looked initially. So beyond the first four weeks where we caught breaks, the Dolphins do scare me. But we're playing the Packers. Who, yeah, they beat the Bears. Like clockwork. They always do. It's like us and the Patriots. We always lose to New England. Packers always own the Bears. We're playing the Broncos, which looked like, oh, sure, they got Russell Wilson. We're going to get blown out. Have you watched the Broncos? Their head coach looks like Adam Gase. He doesn't look like he knows what the hell he's doing. I don't even know how to set a clock in his house, let alone manage the clock in the game. And then we're playing the Patriots, where if there was ever a time to beat the freaking Patriots, it's now. Because there's no one on that team that scares me. They got manhandled by the Dolphins. I think this Jets team needs to go into the Patriot game and just steamroll them. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But there's no excuse not to. So when I look at these next six games, I could see them winning at least three. I think you need to win at least three. Possibly four. Who knows? But I don't think there's any of these games outside of Miami where I say, I can't foresee a circumstance where they pull where they don't pull it out. I think a lot of these games are very winnable. And if Zach Wilson comes back, if they lose and Zach plays well, at least we know we'll probably have our quarterback for the decade. But that's really what the season's about. It's about finding about Zach Wilson and if he's the guy. Because if he's not, and this team finishes, you know, 5-12, and 6-11, and 11, 
I guarantee you they're either going to take a quarterback next year in the draft, a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, or they're going to trade for like a Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think the pressure's on Zach, and it will really be on if Flacco plays lights out again against the Bengals like he did against the Browns. So there, there's a lot riding on this Jets team going forward, but it's exciting to see a youth movement. It's exciting that they won a game in September. And I'm really excited to watch Sunday. But if they go out there and just let you know what the bed, I'll be more than willing to rip into this coach again. But he bought himself a little time. Speaking of buying time, I want to say thank you all very much for listening. These are only going to be about 35 to 45 minutes. I'm not planning on doing a whole spiel just based on what I can do currently. But if there's other topics in the NFL you want me to cover, I can devote a couple minutes to it. You know, if it's a team, there's very few teams I don't follow. In fact, I think there's maybe only one or two that I just, I, I give no Fs about. So I really appreciate everyone listening. I can't tell you how awesome it is to be on our own platform. But all in all, I'm just, I feel good. It feels good to win a game, especially in September when it's been hard to come by. So until next week, when I talk about uh, Bengals at Jets, week three of Game Green with Goudreau, Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Shoot us a message. Give us a like. Post on the the website. We have a comment section if there's certain stuff you want us to talk about. We are more than willing to do it. Our schedule's set, but that doesn't mean we can't amend it. You know, to quote, this might be sacrilege, especially if Jack Falvey's listening. I'm going to end this with uh, with a Bill Belichick quote. We're on to Cincinnati. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.